now take you into a service already in progress where Pastor Ashish exhorts the congregation and leads them in making the declaration. And right after this is a life-changing message for you. Stand up to your feet, hold your Bibles high up in the air, say this out loud with me. This is God's Word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I am blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe his word and I live by his word. Christ is my master and to him I am an absolute surrender in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you. Maybe see this. This morning I want to conclude our series on missions that we've been talking about over several Sundays on missions mandate. This is the fifth message in the series. I'm going to talk about urban missions. And uh, just share some thoughts, some practical things here on urban missions. If you recall, in this series, we began by um, talking about the call to missions, that God has called all of us to engage in missions. God's heart is for the missions. He's called all of us to engage in that. Then we talked about the history of missions. Pastor Stephen Benny shared with us, uh, a couple of stories of uh, missionaries from the past, from church history, who've taken bold steps to you know, cross continents and, and go out and take the message of Jesus to people who've never heard it before. We talked about some insights on missions. Pastor Jacob shared on that as he shared some insights on missions, calling it the great adventure, where we step up with God on an adventure with God. The last message I shared was on, on the local church and missions, on how a local church can engage in missions. I shared seven ways uh, with us how we as an urban church can engage in missions and reaching people with the message of Jesus and partnering with those who are reaching out and uh, in, uh, in raising up communities of believers in parts of the world where there isn't a strong local church, how we can engage in those things. This morning, I want to talk about urban missions, specifically talking about reaching our cities. Because cities themselves are huge mission fields. Cities are expanding, growing, and even within cities, although church buildings are probably in close proximity, there are still huge pockets of people who haven't been touched with the gospel and the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about missions, we cannot ignore our urban centers, our cities that need to hear the gospel. And when I talk about cities, and as I'm using the term cities, don't just think only of, woo, eight million people, huge. Think about centers within those cities, areas within this whole conglomeration of eight million people. Because right within the city of Bangalore, where there's huge, this huge population, are areas social groups, subcultures of people that are not yet touched with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when, I think, when we talk about cities, think about in those terms. Now, yes, we 
look at cities as big urban centers across our nation, and that's one object, reason why we printed this book, so that you can become aware of cities across our nation that are developing, are emerging, and we need to, on purpose, begin to target those cities, especially cities in the northern part of India, where there are no strong, vibrant churches that are teaching the Word of God and moving in the Spirit. There are no such churches. We are privileged in the city of Bangalore, but many cities across the northern part of India don't have that. And so we are responsible for those cities of going out there and making a difference. So I want to share some practical thoughts here, not necessarily, you know, a a complete message on urban missions, but certain thoughts that will help us uh, prepare and get ready for urban missions, whether it's within the city of Bangalore or other cities in our nation or other parts of the world. So this morning I'm speaking to you as missionaries. Amen? I'm not speaking to you as Sunday morning churchgoers. You are missionaries. All of you are going to do something for God. So I'm speaking to you from that perspective as, as missionaries. This morning is like a missions conference. Okay. I want to talk first of all about the cry of the city. The Bible talks about this in several places. The cry of the city. It's almost as though a voice goes up from the city that touches the heart of God. And we see this in several places. And I'll just pick out two instances. One is in the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 2. And you know the story of Jonah. In Jonah, chapter 1, verse 2, God says, He says, Jonah, I want you to go to the city of Nineveh. Because that great city, because their wickedness has come up before me. It's as though the sin, the wickedness, the pain, the injustice, the problems, the darkness in the city is raising up a voice that touches the heart of God. And so God says, Jonah, I want you to become my partner in responding to the cry of this city that's coming up to me. The same thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 13, 13, the Bible declares or states that Sodom was one of the most wicked cities on the earth in its time. In Genesis 13, 13, the Bible says, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. So here was a city that, uh, that was in deep perversion. Great wickedness. And so... God decides to do something about it in Genesis 18, verse 20 and 21. Genesis 18, verses 20 and 21. It says, the Lord said, because the cry, outcry against or of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So God is saying, here's a sinful city, and the cry of the city, the voice of the pain, the wickedness, the sin in the city has gone up before God, and it has touched the heart of God. And God is saying, I need to do something to intervene. Same with Nineveh, same with Sodom and Gomorrah. Now here's a contrast of Abraham and Jonah, how they respond. When God tells to Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And be an answer, bring my message, and and let's see this city restored and and brought back to righteousness. Jonah's heart is hardened. He says, God, no way. 
And he runs the opposite direction. But look at Abraham, Genesis 18. When Abraham hears of what God feels about Sodom and what God has to do to bring this city back to its righteousness, Abraham says, God, can you spare the city? Can we see good on the city? He begins to intercede for that city. The question is, what kind of a person will you and I be? Will the cry of the city that touches the heart of God also touch your heart and my hearts? Or are we going to be like Jonah? Harden our hearts, close our ears, blind our eyes, and say, I'll run to church. It's nice there. Or will you and I engage with the darkness in the city and say, God, you want something done, I'm willing to go to the city. I'm willing to pray. I'm willing to have my heart touched by the cry of the city. In the book of Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 4, it's a very interesting verse. Ezekiel chapter 9 verse 4. Now here God is addressing the city of Jerusalem, which at this point in their history is in deep sin and idolatry and they've just gone away from God. And, and I'm just speaking at one verse in this whole chapter here. Ezekiel 9 and verse 4, God speaks to his messenger and he says, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. God says, I want to mark out those people who are touched by the cry of the city. Mark them out for me. I'm going to listen to their prayer. Will you and I be one of those who are marked by God? To these guys are touched by the cry of their city, of Bangalore. And when I say Bangalore, I mean, I'm not talking about this. Eight million people, that's huge. But what about, you know, people around you? The communities that you interact with, that you interface with day to day, whether it's people in the marketplace, in the government, in education, whether it's people in the slums, whether it's those just hooked in drugs and, and, and just ruining, ruining their lives, whether it's those who are, you know, just depressed, suicidal, tormented, oppressed. The people that you interface with, is the cry of those groups, those communities affecting your heart? Are you touched? By the cry of the city. That's the question. And will you become one of those who are mocked by God. Saying you know that person there. He or she. Their heart is touched by the cry of the city. They are crying to me. For what they are seeing in their city. Let's mock them. Let's listen to their prayers. Amen. Sometimes you know we could be so. Christianized. That we become totally insulated. To the pain, the sin, the wickedness that we see in our city. We go after the Christian things. And somehow in that pursuit, we are not touched by the cry of the city. And that's a dangerous place to be. Question is, are you touched by the cry of the city? Are you touched by the pain, the sin, the wickedness around you? And are you praying for them out of that? Is that becoming the cry of your heart to God? The next thing I want to talk about here when we talk about urban missions is that we must become intentional 
about planting churches in those communities that we want to see transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Planting churches is one of God's primary strategies of evangelization and discipleship. You see it in the book of Acts. He said, go make disciples of all nations. What do we see them doing? They plant churches. They plant communities of believers. So when I say churches, I'm not talking about church buildings. I'm talking about winning souls, discipling them in, the, in, the, in their community. That's planting churches. You could meet in a living room. You can meet under a coconut tree. You can meet in a bar, whatever. If you're gathering to the, together a community of believers, discipling them, that's a church. So you're planting a church. And church planting is God's primary method for evangelism or evangelization and discipleship. So when we are targeting communities in our city, we've got to look at, we've got to think intentionally of planting churches, establishing communities of believers, who will, of people who will come to the faith and be disciples. It could happen in your corporate office. It could happen in your school, in your college, wherever. It doesn't have to happen inside a steeple building with a cross on top. Amen? Amen. So we must become intentional about it. And, you know, it's just in the life of our own church. We were intentional when we went and started our south location. We knew Jainagar, Bangalore South, didn't have much of a Christian presence. So we said, let's go there. Let's start a church. We were intentional about it. It didn't happen by accident. As we moved, God just opened doors. As we labored, and Georgie was there with us. He started the, you know, the first. As we labored, God raised up that community. And then now they are beginning to reach out. We were intentional when we started our North Church location. It didn't happen by accident. We were, that's an area of our city that we must go into and raise up a church that can minister to that community. And as we raised that, as we began to labor in that area and started raising up, it was amazing the kind of people who brought, who came in there. You know, today, the North Church largely has a, a, great, a great number of African students. Students from Uganda, Kenya, Ivory Coast, Nigeria. It's like you're preaching to an, I say, God, what a privilege, you know. We don't have to travel there. They're coming here. <laughs> I'm ministering to them. Yes, if we had a barbecue with the African students. It's fun. And just, I said, what a privilege, you know, to be able to interact with these young boys and girls who've come all the way to study and they're part of APC North and just able to, and they're on fire. And they, they have, I mean, just think of this, you know, these students are on vacation now. Do you know what they did last week? They spent it in fasting and praying in the woods. So they call it forest prayer. These African guys, morning they'll go into these, these wooded parts and then they live far up north in the Jakarta. So they go into this wooded and they spend the day in prayer. And then, you know, the fasting and praying. I mean, these are college students. They're far away from home. And this is what they're doing in the holidays. And then we have this barbecue and they said, this week they're going to do outreach. They're going to go to all their other African friends who don't come to church going to get them. None of this was uh, inspired by the leadership. Like we never told them to do it. They're on their own, out of their hearts. And these are college students. Amen? 
Just think of what God is doing in that. So we were intense about it. So now we are intentionally getting ready to plant APC Bangalore East. So that's in um, Martahali, uh, Brookfield side. We're getting ready. We've got a team of seven young men from Central and South. So, okay, now you become the church planting team. We're going to go to Bangalore East and start our East location. So hopefully in a month or two, we launch that. So we're intentional about it. And there's a whole area, the IT corridor of Bangalore. We know we're going to go there, reach those professionals, reach those people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and do that. So we're intentional. So I want all of us as missionaries to be intentional about planting churches, meaning raising communities of disciples, of believers, right, right in those, those, those places that touch your heart. Go do it. Amen? And here's a model, some models to follow. If you, uh, if you turn to the Acts chapter 18, and this, let's just follow Paul as he goes about being a missionary, planting churches, establishing uh, groups of communities of believers in different cities of his time. How did he go about it? What did he do? Let's go to Acts 18. I'll just pick out some things here for us. Acts 18 verses 1 to 11. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and he went to Corinth. So Corinth is a commercial place, a city like Bangalore. Very prosperous business center, yet given to a lot of idolatry and immorality. Paul's going in there. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. And so because he was the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia... Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who, was, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord, with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Here are some patterns that we can draw from, from Paul as he moved into cities, to plant churches. You know, as Paul goes into Corinth, what happens? He finds that God has already prepared things for him. There's already a couple named Aquila and Priscilla there in Corinth, and they have some things in common. Their hearts are open. Their hearts are ready. Paul connects with them. He also connects with them professionally. They are tent makers. So he connects with them professionally, and then they labor as a team, to raise up a church. Paul has his own team of Silas and Timothy. They're operating as a team. They go into Corinth. They find some people there, Aquila and Priscilla, who are already ready. And he begins to work with them. So some things. Move out as a team. Paul had his team at that time, Silas and Timothy. And he had other, other people as part of his team in different, on other occasions. So form a church planting team. 
Amen? Get two or three people who are willing to journey with you into that same area, into that same locality, into that same culture, into that same group that you're trying to reach. Let's go. We are a church planting team. We're going to plant a church. The other thing you'll find is that God has already prepared somebody to give you an entrance into that community. You need to find who that person or people are who are your entry points into that community. You'll find this throughout. For example, in Corinth, Aquila and Priscilla, they were already there. Connectors. Amen? And as we read on, what happens? When Paul and his team are chased out of the synagogue, there's another entry point, a man named Justice. He says, come, use my home. Do the work. So they move. God's touched somebody else's heart. They work with justice, and what happens? The ruler of the synagogue gets saved in Corinth. And they continue for a year and a half, and a church is established in Corinth. God has already got certain people lined up for you as you're entering in. They are your entry points. You need to be sensitive to them. There's Aquila and Priscilla that you connect through your profession, through your vocation. You connect with them. So you don't know. Perhaps your entry point into the community that you're targeting is the person you're working with. You don't know. God's got their heart. You just got to ask them. Their heart's already ready. And they become an entry point for you into that group of people that you're targeting. And you begin to go and minister to them. Look for these entry points. God's prepared them. Amen? Same thing happens in Philippi. Same thing happens in Ephesians. If you turn to Acts 16, you know, Paul shows up in Philippi. If you pick this up in verse 12, Acts 16, verse 12, Paul and his team. From there they come to Philippi, which is the foremost city of the part of Macedonia. A colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. Now, some days we don't know how many days. Maybe a couple of weeks. I don't know. So they're like, okay, God, we're here. Tell us what to do. God, tell us what to do. So they've come into Philippi. They've come into a place, a territory where they want to plant a church. And they're waiting on God. They're waiting, waiting to see how God will move them. They're waiting for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, If you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Here's the entry point. They come into Philippi. They say, God, what do you want us to do? They hear of a prayer meeting. They go to the prayer meeting and to their surprise, it's an all-women's prayer meeting. So Paul must be wondering, you know, hey, Silas, do you want to take the step? No, 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 Paul, you do it. <laughs> you know, Paul, Timothy, do you want to go? No, 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 you go. There's all women, you know, be a man. And he must be very wondering, you know, what to do. God, this is a women's prayer meeting. It's us men who showed up. You know, what should I do, God? It's really embarrassing. And God mysteriously moves on the heart of a businesswoman named Lydia. God opens her heart and says, hey, you guys, what are you doing there? Oh, we are missionaries. <laughs> I, don't know how, I don't know how the connection happens, but 
her heart opens up and there's an entry point into that community and she's so touched. She says, come and speak to my household and they speak to her household and they all get saved and they say, come use our home. There's an entry point. Amen. So as you are preparing to move into a certain group, I mean, it could be in our city, it could be a slum, whatever you're you're looking at saying, God, I want to get in there. Look for those entry points. Look for Aquila and Priscilla. They might be in your workplace. Look for justice. Look for Lydia. Look for these people. They are entry points. God's got their hearts prepared. Same thing happens in Ephesians. You know, you pick up the story in Acts 19. Paul and his team uh, land up in Ephesians. They found a group of people they ministered to. They got saved. They got filled with the Spirit. But now they, they want to reach out to the, the whole city. Acts 19 verse 8. Uh, they go into the synagogue. He speaks boldly for three months. Reasoning and persuading concerning, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But some were hardened. Verse 9. Acts 19 9. But some were hardened and did not believe. But spoke evil of the way before the multitude. He departed from them. Withdrew the disciples. And reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, they continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Same thing happens. They go into Ephesians. They find about 12 people, maybe a few more, who, who, uh, who were baptized according to John. They share the gospel. They're saved. Baptized in water, baptized in the spirit. For three months, Paul preaches in the synagogue. He's thrown out from there. He doesn't leave Ephesians. Why? Because he looks for the entry point. There is a man who runs a school. Tyrannous. He says, come, use my school. So he goes from the synagogue into the school. All the disciples. And they spend two years ministering. And it says from there, the word of God spread throughout that whole region. A church is established in Ephesus. How? Through the school of Tyrannus. That's the entry point. Amen. So as you go out to raise up these communities of believers, look for your entry points. God's prepared their hearts. This is something Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. If you will go with me to Matthew chapter 10. This is exactly what he taught them as he sent them into the cities of their time. In Matthew 10 verses 11 to 13. Matthew 10, 11 to 13. Jesus said, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy And stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. And if the household is worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. Being worthy simply means receptive. So you go in a city. Find another person who is receptive. Stay with him. Work with him. Work through him. And your peace, your blessing comes upon that person. But if they are not receptive, leave. Go somewhere else. It's a principle Jesus gave us. He said, go. As you go in a city, look for that one individual or that small group of people who are worthy or receptive to what you've come to bring to them. And they receive. Your blessing will come. You work with them, work through them. Touch that city. Amen? Now, the last point I want to share with us here on urban missions is our primary strategy for urban missions. What is it? You know, I believe in being relevant. I believe in speaking in the language of the people. Believe in using methods and tools that connect with people. I believe in it. 
Also wir haben ein Performing Arts Team, wir haben ein Worship Team, ein Pastor, wir haben ein T-Shirt und Jeans. Anyway, so we believe in that. We believe in using all tools that are available to communicate and speak the language of the people and be relevant to the culture of the community that we're we ministering to. We believe in that. Paul taught us that. In 1 Corinthians 9, he said, I become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. To the Jews, I become like the Jew. To those outside the law, I become like outside the law, but not yet without the law of Christ. To those who are under the law, I become as so I'm under the law. I become all things to all people. I mean, I, I become like them. Says, I, I, I get into their world. I try to be relevant to bring the uncompromised word of God to them. So I believe in all that. But here's what I want to impress upon our hearts for us to pursue, for us to press into as we talk about reaching our cities where the false religions of intellectualism, the false religion of humanism, the false religion of materialism, the false religion of hedonism has gripped the lives of people. What is our strategy? This is it. It's the same strategy that the Lord Jesus used when he went to cities. What was the strategy Jesus used when he reached out to the cities of his day? In Mark chapter 6, and this is what we must pursue. This is what we must develop. This is what we must grow into as a church as we develop our strategy to impact our own city of Bangalore and the cities across our nation. This is it. In Mark chapter 6, and we'll look at a couple of verses from the Gospels. From the ministry of Jesus. In Mark 6 and verse 56, it says this. Wherever he enters, into villages, cities, or the country places, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment. As many as touched him were made well. What was Jesus' ministry? Whether he went into villages, the countrysides, or the cities, he ministered the same way. He demonstrated the power of God through signs, wonders, and miracles. That was his strategy. He proclaimed the message of the kingdom, and he demonstrated the power of God. He didn't say, for the villages, you know, poor people, uneducated, I will work wonders and miracles. For the countryside... 50% miracles, 50% intellectualism. And when I go into the cities, all these highly educated people, I've got to give them, I'll get into debates and arguments and give them a rational gospel. He didn't do that. Whether he was in villages, countrysides, or cities, his method of ministry was the same. Healings, signs, wonders, miracles. That was it. In... Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is addressing the cities of his day. Now, the cities of his day could be compared to our cities. Not necessarily in size, but in the, in the prevailing mindset and what covered the minds of people. They were as materialistic as we are today. They were as uh, intellectual as we are today. You know, wanting to argue, talk about things, debate about things. So, they're very comparable. And Jesus is addressing some of the cities in his day, and we pick this up in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 to 24. Then he began, let's read the passage, and then I'll share some thoughts here on this. 
And he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable to you, for you, Tyre and Sidon, in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you, that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. What can we learn here? Jesus is comparing three of the biggest cities of his day with three cities from the Old Testament. Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum. They were all huge places of commerce and business. Very successful, very prosperous cities. Capernaum also had the distinction of being a, a highly exalted city, a very highly esteemed city. Jesus made it the headquarters of his ministry. So it was like, you know, a big city and a highly exalted, maybe very famous. Think of any one of the big famous cities of our world, something like Capernaum. Everybody wants to establish their place of base over there. And Jesus did that in Capernaum. And he compares them with Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, Old Testament cities. Now, here's what happens. When Jesus goes into the cities of his day, which are all filled with intellectualism, all educated people, materialism, prosperous cities, hedonism, people that's given to immorality and gratifying the desires of the flesh and of the minds, humanism, all kinds of philosophies prevailing in those days and times. When he goes into these cities, he has only one strategy to minister in those cities. What is it? Mighty works. Amen? That's all. How are you going to affect these cities? I'm going to go in there. Rock signs, wonders, miracles. What is the outcome he's expecting? He's expecting these cities to repent when they see the power of God. That's the outcome he's expecting. Amen? So our strategy in our cities, true, they are filled with materialism, intellectualism, humanism, hedonism, Regardless of what grips the minds of people in our cities, our strategy is the same as that of Jesus Christ. Let's go there. Expect the glory of God to be revealed through his people. And God says, my glory shall be seen upon you and the Gentiles will come to your lights. And kings to the brightness of your rising. Amen. So as a people, we must desire, we must hunger, we must pursue, we must contend for the demonstration of the power of God and begin to pursue, keep pursuing it, keep pursuing it, keep going after it. Because that's the original way of bringing the gospel to the people. Amen? And what was Jesus' response when these people didn't receive the message? He didn't say, now maybe... I had to think of a new strategy. 
No. He said, this is the only strategy. This is the only way you're going to receive the gospel. And this is the final way. And if you do not respond to this, the only thing that awaits you is judgment. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. I'm not coming with an alternate method. This is the only method, signs, wonders, and miracles. And if you don't respond to this, the only thing that waits is judgment. Even Jesus did not try an alternate approach. The question is, why are you and I looking for alternate approaches? Amen? Let's stay with the original. The way Jesus ministered in the cities of his day will be the way we minister in the cities of our day. Take the power of God into the marketplaces. Paul the apostle did the same thing. As he found his entry points in all of these places that he went to establish cities, the next big thing that you see, that we see in the book of Acts, is the demonstration of the power of God. In Paphos, Acts 13, verses 6 to 12, when Paul goes into Paphos, He's standing before the governor of that region. Acts 13, verses 6 to 12. What does he do? He doesn't say, okay, now I've got to give a political twist to my gospel so that I can engage this governor. He doesn't do that. Preaches the gospel, demonstrate the power of God. And the Bible says, Acts 13, 12, the governor of that region, when he saw and heard the things that Paul said and did, he believed. He saw the power of God. He believed. Paul didn't change his strategy just because he was standing before a political head. It was the same thing. Standing here, I will proclaim Jesus Christ, the one who works miracles and heals and delivers, and he demonstrated the power of God. Same thing in Philippi. After God gave him an entry point through the house of Lydia, the next big thing that happens that shakes Philippi is the deliverance of a demon-possessed girl. This girl controlled and influenced that whole region through her demonic powers. The whole region was under, under her control. Actually, the demonic power operating through her. And when Paul, by the gospel, over, sets her free, it shakes up that whole place. Philippi is shaken by the demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ overthrowing demonic powers. Same thing happens in Ephesians. In Acts 19, as Paul goes into the school of Tyrannus and he begins teaching there, Acts 19, 11 onwards, it says, And God worked many miracles through the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from him, and people were healed and delivered. And, and, and there were demonstrations of the power of God, so that at the end of it, the inhabitants of that region came together and said, we are going to get rid of all our items of false worship, all our items of witchcraft. We're getting rid of it because we've seen the power of the true and living gods. That's how a church was established. In Philippi, in Ephesus, same thing. Amen? So our strategy for urban missions is no different from that of the Lord Jesus Christ or that of the Apostle Paul. We've got to go in there, go through our entry points that God sets up for us and then demonstrate God's power. Expect it and God wants to use each one of us. Amen? And we will see our cities 
reached for Jesus Christ. So I just want to highlight these three or four main thoughts here. And we're talking about urban missions. The first thought is this. We must respond to the cry of our city. The cries of the city must touch our hearts. Amen? It's good to go to church. It's good to gather together and be in places like this so we can worship God. But our hearts must be touched by what's happening outside. Whatever it might be, the cry of the city must touch our hearts. So just as it goes up to the heart of God, we must respond and pray. Secondly, we must be intentional about planting churches, raising up communities of believers in in parts of our city, in cities across the world. Be intentional about it. Look for the entry point that God sets up for us. Everywhere we go, God will set up this entry point. It's amazing to see how God gave us open doors. Look for those entry points. Move in. And then lastly, our strategy for our cities is the same. All of us. God wants to use all of us in signs, wonders, and miracles to affect our cities. That's what we as a church must continue to press in, to pursue, and let the the water level of, of the glory of God among us keep increasing, keep rising. Because we need it. Our world needs it. Our city needs it. The people who are hurting need it. Amen. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.